Welcome to the Spirit Sisters podcast. My name is Karina Machado and I'm the author of Spirit Sisters, Women's True Stories of the Paranormal. In this podcast, I'll revisit the women behind my most unforgettable stories and unearth new tales to chill, intrigue, astound and offer hope. You'll hear first-hand accounts of ghostly visitors, near-death experiences, premonitions, hauntings and love more powerful than death. Whatever you believe about the afterlife, I invite you to open your minds and hearts as ordinary women reveal their extraordinary encounters. Hello and thank you for joining me on Spirit Sisters, the podcast, coming to you from my home to yours. Hope you're all keeping calm and well and safe wherever in the world you may be as we navigate this COVID-19 crisis. For my part, I'm determined to stick to a fortnightly schedule of podcasts as I believe so passionately in this content and its power to inspire us and offer the opportunity to take a bigger picture view of life with all its challenges and joys. Before I introduce you to my guest, quick reminder that the new edition of Spirit Sisters The Book is available as an e-book and audiobook narrated by me. Australian readers who want the physical book will find it at booktopia.com.au. Now to the episode. My guest today is author and longtime publishing executive Maggie Hamilton, who's joining us to share the story behind her new non-fiction book, Inside the Secret Life of Fairies, published by Hay House. Maggie spent her early years immersed in nature, then fell into working in book publishing. Now she writes books and for magazines, gives frequent talks, and is a keen observer of social trends. Her books have been published in many countries, Australia, New Zealand, Holland, Italy, China, Lithuania, Korea, the Arab States and Brazil. Nature is Maggie's go-to place while living in the inner city. Her new book, Inside the Secret Life of Fairies, is her love song to nature and all the secrets it has gifted her. Passionate about life, creativity and beauty, Maggie loves finding the extraordinary within the ordinary. Enjoy my uplifting and heart-expanding conversation with Maggie Hamilton, who shares a lifetime of wisdom about the natural world and the spirit world, all of which is more valuable than ever, I think, in these unsettling times. It's so wonderful to be with you. It is so wonderful. I'm just so thrilled to have you on the show today. We first met more than 12 years ago and I consider you such a special person in my life, a a mentor, even though we don't speak and see each other that often. I just know you're there and I'm so grateful for it. And likewise, darling. Oh, well, Maggie, you've got a wealth of insights and experiences to share with our audience. Honestly, there's so much that it's difficult to know where to start. And you've got this beautiful Celtic birthright as well that there's so much for us to go into there too. But I think the best place to start is with your latest and gorgeous book, Inside the Secret Life of Fairies. Tell us, Maggie, where did your fascination with fairies first begin? Well, I was for the first uh, 10 years of my life, I I lived in England, in the north of England. And for the first five years, I I lived in a cottage in the country. And 
it was steeped in fairy lore at that time. And what I mean by that, Karina, is that the living forces of nature were as ever present in my life through the older people, and it would have been what we call the elders now, quite elderly people, as the physical everyday people were in my life. So, and I realized, I, I only looking back, I realized that I actually caught the tail end of, of life before the Industrial Revolution, that there was still old people who had carried this knowledge and this deep connection on. And, of course, now it's emerging in other ways. But I was privileged to experience life with that connection. So for me, it was as as every day as, you know, having toast for breakfast or whatever. And it was a very beautiful way for a child to grow up. It sounds that way. As a child, I was fascinated with Enid Blyton's books of the magic faraway tree and the wishing chair and all of those. And what you're describing sounds as beautiful and as enchanting as that. It is. And, you know, it's interesting you mention Enid Blyton because the magic faraway tree, in a sense, I think what Enid Blyton tapped into without perhaps even knowing it is actually an example of the dimensions of um, these other forms of existence that in this incredible tree were other beings and beyond that were worlds that could be experienced, some which were easy and beautiful and some which could be quite difficult or dangerous even. And I think that kind of explains wider experiences that we can have in life too. But the the fairy thing taught me it's really about connectedness to the web of life and also realising that we share this planet with many, many other life forms and not just those we can see. And the importance of actually of boundaries around this so that we respect that you know, we're not just here to cut down trees and, and um, you know, create massive motorways without thinking about the impact, that we are impacting so much of this precious web of life that is seen and unseen. Oh, Maggie, so many things to explore there, and we will as we continue with our conversation. So I just want to pick up on one thing. So with it's almost as if you were born with this understanding of the fairy realm and of what they stand for, i.e. that that beautiful web of life. I wonder, yeah. did you as a little girl ever have an experience of seeing a fairy or of, or of sensing one around you? Now, that's a wonderful question because, in fact, I used to spend – my time for the first few years before I went to school in the cottage garden where I lived and I'd hold my breath and I would ache and ache and ache to see these beings and I never did but I did have an experience when I was three with my Scottish grandmother who was very fey and she came to stay and we we went, um, there were meadows all around us and we climbed over this stile into this meadow and we collected daisies and buttercups as you do with grandmas. And then when it came time to leave, 
the style that you step over to get out of the meadow, uh, meadow over the um, over the wall, the fence had vanished. And I looked up at her and and she said to me, "Oh, don't worry." She said the fairies are playing with us. So she said we'll just enjoy being here until we see their style come back, which it did. And I was three, and that is actually my earliest memory. However, I always sensed this life around me. And what I now realize, Karina, is that there's not a person on the planet who has not experienced fairies. I have seen them since then, but it is actually every single one of us has experienced the fairy realm. And this is really why I wanted to write the book and particularly as I live in Sydney and inner city Sydney very close to the railway line and to also say that this is really possible even if we're living in a big city and that is every beautiful moment we've had in nature it might be you know that glimpse of a sunset a dewdrop a, a curling leaf, whatever it is, those aha moments that take our breath away, we are touching the high vibrations of the fairy kingdom. Wow, that is such a beautiful way to put it. I just love that, Maggie. And indeed, in your book, you describe a moment which we could call an aha moment or even a state of samadhi that yep. this moment of hyper-reality. It's such a lovely story. I was wondering if you could share that with our audience. I will. And for anybody listening in Sydney, I was working in publishing and our office was right by the Harbour Bridge. And I rushed up one day to get, you know, a sandwich and um, then zipped across the road. And there's a lovely grassy section leading down to the water in Kirribilli, for those who know Sydney. But it, it's a piece of, a large piece of grass going down to Sydney Harbour. And as I, the moment my bottom touched the earth, it was like I'd sat on a cosmic light socket and I could feel this life energy surging and surging through me in an, one way I might describe it as an almost orgasmic way. And as I looked around, you know, still clutching my bag of sandwiches, <laughs> the green of the grass was a green I had never experienced before. It was it was like going from black and white to colour. That's how that how marked the difference was in the green. And as I looked around me, every blade of grass within immediate sight was shimmering and it was as if each blade of grass was gifting me their life force and this just surged through and through me in the most ecstatic way imaginable. So I felt a huge expansion in my being and I lost all sense of time. I suspect it was 30 seconds or a minute at most. But what these experiences do is they they plunge us into the eternal now, into the place of all possibilities. And one of the signs this happens is when something becomes hyper real around us in nature. So it might be the colour it might be the texture of a tree. It might be the scent of a flower. 
it it might be a whole range of things, but we know it's what's happening to us because we get that aha, we feel that expansiveness and we lose even for a microsecond any sense of time. So how I've come to realize what fairies are, I believe, they are the living intelligences in nature that take care of every plant, every tree, every rock, all sorts of things. And they live in a much heightened vibration to us. But in that moment, they are giving us the bridge into that place of all possibilities. What a wonderful description, Maggie. And, you know, as you were telling us about that and I was picturing it or trying to picture it through your eyes in that moment, one thing that came to mind was the resonance of that experience that you were describing with what so many people who've had a near-death experience report. And I don't know if you but yeah, I'm sure you have. But they say that the colours are actually so vivid and so different that we don't actually have the language in which to describe what they see. And they, they talk about this place of no time and this sense of connection with the nature around them that they have in this experience. And, oh, it's just so beautiful. I just saw so many parallels there in bet- between what you described and what the near-death experiences, some of them, come back reporting. That's brilliant, Karina, because while I, you know, I know a lot about the near-death, I had never connected that. So thank you. What we don't realize with these experiences, so some some people do see little fairy figures, but most don't. And, and it might not be something they see. It might be, you know, they might be out walking in the wilderness and it might be, you know, the sharpness of wind on their face, that kind of shearing cold Mm. that takes them into another space. So I think what we, that one of the great keys is to let go the need to see and to learn, what I've learned to do is to feel into those spaces and that gets us there. That's so interesting because I had a sense reading your book that in a way you are redefining or expanding the idea of what a fairy is because we are so prone to label things using our our visual faculty and but you you seem to suggest Maggie that a fairy or a moment of connection with a fairy is less about seeing a particular kind of being whether it be that tiny little bewinged being that we're that mythology and stories tell us about it's less about that than about a moment of sacred connection with life and of remembering this connection that we've forgotten. That's right. Absolutely, Karina. And, you know, we can do we can do this through, you know, coming into what we can actually do is start to create a loving connection with different things in nature that speak to us. And for those in the city, you know, don't panic because you're not living in the country it, it can be in our pocket park it can be a tree um, you know when we go up to have a coffee that we feel particularly drawn to it is there for you I promise you and in fact in our cities we often have sacred places and they're nearly always in nature that place we go to and our, our spirit feels calm and we feel in in some way embraced 
And, and what I'm encouraging people to do, you know, I know we're all busy, although we're going to be less busy for a while, mm-hmm. um, is to spend time there and to do it starting to really notice around us because the connection is about these things in nature, whether it's a tree, a plant, a bush, whatever you love. It might be hibiscus that you love because you love the colour of its flowers. The connection is formed through really seeing that plant, rock, whatever, and open up to the fact that we are going to be able to hear messages from it intuitively and that connection is strengthened by love so it's a loving sight and and touch and we don't have to go around hugging trees unless we feel really comfortable with that all we have to do is to put our hand on the bark of a tree and honor it and say I see you in a loving way and start to build up a loving relationship to start to notice how that tree's rooted in the ground, how it reaches up to the sky before we seek to have a communication. It's like a kind of courtesy in a way, just as in human life, when we meet somebody and we feel drawn to a friendship or whatever, we don't launch into the kind of deeper things you expect of a friendship until you've built that loving bridge. And it's exactly the same with nature. Yes, there's so much for us to consider there and also in terms of the bridge between life and death. Yes. And you've had experiences throughout your life that that unite those two those two worlds as well, which we'll go into later. But yes, Maggie, that's definitely one of the most potent messages of your book that I drew, and and that is the importance, the absolute importance of reigniting that connection to nature, and it's essential that we do it. And you you share so many great ways, as you've just touched on there, about how we can do that. And now, of course, at the moment, our world is literally being turned inside out, upside down by this coronavirus. Yeah. I want given that do you think that this might be a a symptom you know a very unmissable symptom of how we kind of stubbornly continue especially in the western world to live out of alignment with the rest of life with nature look I I just can't help but feel this is cause and effect and but I do want to stress it's not punishment It, it but it is the need of Mother Nature to bring us back into alignment because we are we we're on such a course at the moment. And what I feel about this time is that this is a global reset. And for those of us in Australia, we've had a double whammy. We've well, or more than that, bushfires as well. The, the ravaging of the earth through drought, bushfires, then floods and storms. And what I, and of course, fire is the great cleanser. And what I see out of this, remember we're talking about one tiny virus. This shows us the power of Mother Nature. We're talking about a microscopic virus. This is her power. And of course, you know, this is going to be painful ahead, but this is a great opportunity for us to come back into alignment. And it's a call, I think, at this time to reset. Where am I out of alignment in my own life? 
and to use this time to, you know, listen to spiritual um, material like the podcast here today, to do those things that our soul has been asking us to do because what a waste because we know loved ones are going to die. There are going to be, I think, massive impacts going forward, but nothing that we cannot handle Mm -hmm. Um, and particularly if we're connected in. We have to make this matter and count. I feel that really strongly, Karina. The great tragedy would be if we come out of this in three months and six months' time and just continue to do the same old stuff, then it's it'll be one of the greatest global losses of opportunity. And I actually feel very optimistic about our capacity for change because we live in a loving universe and we only have to make one step towards resetting and things will start to align for us you know we'll be cruising the net and we'll find that one blog that speaks to us or whatever so yes I do feel that this is very much about our lack of connection You know, what's very interesting about that is the timing of your book as well. And I wonder if you've reflected on that because, in a sense, you know, you've been brewing this book all your life. You grew up in this little cottage in this idyllic setting with nature and then you've gone through decades of this very busy, high-powered life in publishing and influential life in many respects. But your book has come out early this year or or was it late late last year Maggie but either way on on the cusp of this enormous change Uh, I wonder if you reflected on that and it and the timing of the book well I have because there's something else behind this that um I began the book in about 2000 and I wrote it over a decade because I know with my spiritual books it's really important that I've totally integrated the material you know I mean the universe has made that really clear to me that I don't put out stuff or hopefully I never will put out stuff that I have not fully integrated into my own life and know the principles thoroughly and how they work etc And I did that lovingly over a decade. And, you know, that book was finished a decade ago. That's extraordinary. I didn't know that. It was. And, you know, I tried this publisher and that. I must admit I wasn't feeling any rush to get it published, which is not like me with my social research books, which I feel, you know, time to get it out now I've finished and um, every so often my lovely Derek would say to me you know we've really got to make an effort to get your fairy book published and I had one or two people around the world interested and every time it fell over and normally with one of my non when I say non-spiritual books not so obviously spiritual books Mm. I'd be devastated but with this I actually felt you know what I just have to trust that it will be the right time. So you intuited that, Karina, to a whole other level. (laughs) I had no idea that it had been so long in the making in that sense, that it had been finished a decade ago. My goodness. Yes. 
Well, I, I, I do feel now that people are ready to listen. And just the whole environmental movement is so much more advanced than what it was. And I think this is the wisdom of the universe. And it part of our path, I think, is actually being able to take a deep breath and trust that the universe knows the timing. Now, that's not to say I didn't try. I certainly tried, but I, I didn't try in that kind of anxious, angsty kind of way. So it's certainly not about sitting back and waiting for it just to come to you, because I don't think the universe operates like that. I don't, the, I don't think the universe has time for us when we're being lazy. Also trusting that even though we might want to do X, Y and Z now, it mightn't be the time. Yes, that's that kind of humility that we have to have. And it's such a balance, as you say, because it isn't just about sitting on our bottoms. We, we oh. have to, to act. We have to put yes. our life force and our energy into it as well, but not take it over. So it's quite a quite a precarious kind of, you know, tightrope that we're walking there. But it's about learning that, I guess, as well. Definitely. And Maggie, please tell us about the people who shared their stories with you in the book. So the book is your reflections on the idea of nature and the role of fairies and the wisdom that we're missing, but also it's people sharing their encounters with you. Tell us about some of the stories. Yes, well, this is what this is what I thoroughly love because, in fact, I hadn't um, in the first draft I put far less of myself into it because. I'm always more interested in other people's experiences than my own. And uh, so that kind of came as a second layer later. But look, the exciting thing was that I met um, all the people I met, nearly all of them had mainstream jobs. And I'm talking about executives in corporations. I'm talking about artists. I'm talking about mums at home with small children, a scientist, you know, people, uh, everyday people from the mainstream walk of life, walks of life. And perhaps the most, two of the most astonishing people I met, one is a um, now retired, a ranger in one of the big national parks south of Sydney. And he has crossed over a number of times. And he has also seen various figures. He would go back into the parks at night and he has seen everything from like Yeti figures to, you know, kind of gnome-like figures. And he's less interested in what they look like. That's how they manifest to him. Mm-hmm. And he said basically what we're looking at with the fairy kingdom is a whole other ecology. You know, just as in the everyday world of what we can see from insects to birds to whatever – there are hundreds of species. Bob believes there are also in nature. And he described how, you know, you can tell things are you're moving over into that dimension, he said, because also he said the weather patterns don't make sense. And he said for him at night, a mist would descend, but there'd be a breeze. Now, normally if there's a breeze, there can't be mist because it would blow the mist away. Mm. And he would be standing in a place in the bush and it would go mottled like soldiers' uniforms, you know, the the um, camouflage, that kind of camouflage gear. 
that's how the world went immediately around him. And then, then he said it became Sylvan. And I talked to an, an elderly lady who lives in uh, the south of Sydney, and she had had she'd been with Bob one night, and she'd had the same experiences going, you know, through one world and into the Sylvan world. And she said it lit up like uh, a lot of fairy illustrations. But what they were going for was really uh, because she was a healer. She's a healer and Bob is too. They weren't going just to have the experience because that's what we get caught on. We just want to see the fairy. Yes. But what what we're being invited to do is interconnection so that we can heal ourselves and that by being more whole that we will take responsibility for taking care of the web of life. So it's a circular thing. But anyway, just to get back to these two, what that taught me and with some other accounts that I read was that we are actually immersed in fairyland wherever we are. Even this minute sitting, you're sitting in your home office, I'm sitting in mine. The fairy kingdom is here and now. It is it is just operating at a higher vibration because the fairies, these living intelligences aren't just in nature they're in every living thing. And because in the quantum field, it's a dance of atoms, ultimately, there's no such thing as inanimate. When you were describing the, the camouflage and how it, how it appears, it made me think of people that I've interviewed who've seen a spirit and yeah. the way that they describe more than one of them, certainly I don't know exactly how many, but certainly more than one, have described it as a shimmering, the kind of thing you might see as the heat rises up off the road on a very hot day. You might see that in the distance or in a desert. They described it like that. And and for some reason I got a sense of that as you described that camouflage and, and that silvery kind of shimmer. It seems similar, yes, doesn't it? it does. And I think I think what we're learning, and this is why I think it's so sad, Karina, when people don't share these experiences, and I'm sure you found when interviewing all the people you have for your books around spirit and other things, is that we don't get to learn from these experiences are wonderful, a they're wonderful, and we can actually connect in through time and space to the wonderment and blessing of that moment. It's it's available for all of us. So hopefully hearing that experience I had on the grass, there can be a transmission of the joy of that to every single person who hears it, hears, uh, hears me telling about it or reads it. And this is the this is the power of all this, is that when we feel shut down, and not able to share the wonderment, we don't actually learn the deeper wisdom and the deeper understandings that lie under that experience, which teach us about the nature of beingness. And this is why it's important. Of course, we have to choose the people we can tell these things to, but I found with the people I interviewed immense gratitude that they'd been taken seriously and that I'd listen and 
And I mean, yeah. for me, it was a very sacred thing for somebody to share that. So this is why what you're doing with the podcast, Karina, is so important because it is time to talk about the what I call the deep magic, the mystical, the sacred that underlies, you know, sometimes we get caught with, you know, silly stuff on the surface, superstitions, mm-hmm. but if we take it deeper, then we we get to really start to understand the fabric of life exactly. and can use that to be empowered people in the world, genuinely empowered people that can really be of benefit to those around us. What a hopeful and powerful idea that is, Maggie. Honestly, that's just beautiful. There's a sense that Nature is the great healer, but as you say, we we need to tap into or reignite our sense of wonderment, of awe, of reverence. You know, yeah. not just, just gloss past it as you know no. we're we're so apt to do. But in your book, you tell of a number of people who've experienced sad pasts, abusive childhoods, and they have received comforting visits from fairies. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Yes, I have one person I interviewed um, is a a Sydney psychotherapist with a Jewish cultural background who's, um, you know, kind of explored wider than that in her own spiritual path. She she grew up in quite a well-off home but had quite a physically abusive mother. I mean, when I say that, her mother wasn't kind of, you know, punching holes in the walls or anything like that. But she was a person, very volatile person. And for those of us who grew up a while ago, parents would think nothing of slapping you across the face or getting the strap out and really going for it. Or teachers, that matter. Teachers, that's right, and teachers as well. And so she, you know, she had this very volatile mother who would really lay into her. By her own admission, she said that she was quite a feisty little girl as well, you know. She'd try and fight back, which wasn't always the best way. You know, We, as we look back, we realise perhaps that wasn't the best way to handle it, but good on her for giving a good shot. Anyway, she said that what she would do after these situations when she, you know, her, her little spirit felt totally crushed is she'd run down to the bottom of the garden and she said this golden figure, always appeared to her and would reassure her and tell her that life was going to be different one day and that it was all going to be all right. And the last time she saw this golden lady, the golden lady said you're to look up into the sky and find a star that you love and know that I will always be available to you by connecting with that star And shortly afterwards, so she didn't see the golden lady again, and shortly afterwards, um, this person's grandmother died, and her grandmother was her great solace. Mm. And she said, you know, she felt terribly sad her grandmother had gone, but totally reassured because she felt she could connect to her grandmother also through that star. And there there were a number of people I interviewed who'd had abusive childhoods where nature had been the great solace and this is a message for all of us I now if I'm feeling sad you know because I mean we all still have the great the um, dark nights of the soul 
you know, we're not immune from that and we're getting a global one at the moment. But what I what I find is if I'm feeling sad or anguish or whatever, my impulse is always now to go to nature and just go and walk in nature and, you know, just telepathically sometimes say, you know, to the nature spirits, we'll say how I'm feeling. And once we've got a connection to place and can read, start to read landscapes, then we will start to have communication. And I remember a number of years ago, I was in the American, we were were in Tucson, we were traveling through Arizona, and I wanted to go and see those saguaro, saguaro cacti, which are like the cacti you see in cowboy movies you know there's like oh, yes a, a stem and then two like arms as it were they're amazing so we did we went to this cacti forest which isn't you know they were quite dispersed I was expecting them to be quite close together because forest tends to we tend to assume that with our Australian bush but anyway they are amazing and I stood in front of one of them and Work had been very full on and, you know, then you jump on a plane to go up on a holiday and there's still stress and stuff going through your system. And I was drawn to this one saguaro and it was a battered, fairly battered one, but, you know, they're about 20 feet high. And I just stood in front of it. And as as, as soon as I did, I got close. I felt like the two arms, as it were, were like blessing. You know, it was like standing before this giant elder. How beautiful and the, that image is. It was just wonderful. And the the cacti said to me telepathically, each of us, the saguaro, we have to live in unbelievable temperatures. And we also support a lot of different life forms. And the only way we're able to do this is because of our spikes. And they have about five or six inch spikes. It just spoke to me about boundaries and how I had I had lost my boundaries. And so I was less able to be useful to myself and to others. What and a profound th- lesson that is, Maggie. Profound. And this is available to us in our local park, wherever we are. Once we have created that loving bridge of honouring that there is so much more life and intelligence and wisdom going on than we can see. And this is what the secret life of fairies is about. I want to just backtrack a little bit now because I know that throughout your life you have had so many kinds of spiritual experiences and I think you you might say that they are all connected in a way, Maggie, but I was I was looking through the transcript of an interview that we did back in 2008 when I interviewed you for I was researching Spirit Sisters and you were one of the first people I interviewed and you gave me so many wonderful ideas and launching points. But you spoke of so many interesting experiences just within that transcript back then. I was wondering if you could please take us back to your early days and I was wondering about your parents and how they brought you up and what your family was like and whether there was sort of an interest in this material and these sacred inquiries? Look, there was. And I just want to honour my my lovely mum and dad, wherever they are in time and space at the moment, because they were extraordinary. I was actually born at home in the cottage, would you believe, on a stormy night? Oh. 
that sounds like something out of a fairy tale. But I was born in 1953, so the UK was still in rationing then, and we lived in this cottage. My parents didn't have much because nobody had much. Of course, you don't realise it as a child because you know, you're just happily being a child. But I was very sickly as a child and I almost died a number of times. And I think that really helped me understand the veil between this life and, and the, uh, you know, the spirit life and other, other dimensions in a sense. And really what I think pulled me through was both parents. My mum was a teacher and she was she she should have been an academic she was brilliant so she was a great spiritual seeker and as we grew up you know we'd go to spiritualist things we'd go to Pentecostal we'd go to you know went to an Anglican school and my mum was very into herbs and vitamins as was my dad and they gave me herbal remedies from being a very little girl because you know I had really bad asthma and all that kind of thing couldn't breathe often and constant bronchitis and all those sorts of things and of course there wasn't the medications in those days because now I believe you know we have to do that dance between you know we have to make our, our medicine complementary and um but in those days there wasn't all that stuff but they lovingly filled me full of herbs and things like that and my dad was very connected into nature and we walked everywhere we really caught buses and so we'd walk for miles there was my sister and I and my parents and we'd walk in the woods and it was very much connected to the seasons then you know like we'd go blackberry picking because of those in those years, they weren't in the UK like everywhere spraying stuff with chemicals, and and then you'd have blackberry pie, and you know you you knew what animals were and birds and things like that. So there was that really solid spiritual foundation of searching, and of course spiritualism was very alive then because it was just after the Second World War, and so many people had lost so many people and I'd go to the cemetery with my grandma and great auntie and we'd scrub the graves of those who'd passed over and you know put flowers and they'd tell me and so those people were as alive to me as my grandma and great aunt and then of course they'd say to me you know in or they'd say in conversation oh you know Uncle Tom came last night and sat on my bed you know Uncle Tom who died and he told me this or he told me that they'd read tea leaves really the other was always very normal for me there was nothing paranormal about it really um, it wasn't until much later on I realized that this wasn't necessarily everybody's experience of life <laughs> <laughs> yes, it sounds, I can see how that played such a fundamental part in making you the, the wonderful person you are and also setting you on a path to your life's work. Thank you, Karina. I do want to emphasise to everybody I've still a lot to learn and I have plenty of human flaws. Oh, of course, <laughs> Maggie, of course. I wonder if you have a memory of your first experience of knowing that we are more than our physical bodies. Yes, and it was it's a really weird thing. And my mother reminded me of it a few years ago, but I got very sick at one stage and I was either three or four 
And I could tell from the look on my parents' face that they were very worried about me. I remember saying this, and I don't know where these words came from, but my, as I say, my mum reminded me of it um, a few years ago before she passed away. And I said to them, don't worry, the I am of the I am will heal me. I goosebumps those words came from but I was about three or four at the time and I still remember that and I remember the calm it was almost like God or whatever we the great spirit whatever we want to call the divine which is beyond anything we can understand it was almost like it was speaking through me in that moment can you repeat the words you said the I am of the I am will heal me I can't imagine what your parents thought when you said that. I mean, I got chills imagining a three- or four-year-old little girl saying that. It's, it's, oh, it's just a beautiful moment. Yes. Well, it was extraordinary. You know, I mean, it, I was grateful that my mum reminded me of it because as soon as she said that, I was right back in the moment. I mean, even telling you, I can feel the covers around me. I can see their faces kind of, you know, parents faces that are quite big you know looking down at you I can see the whole thing and I I really feel Karina that our children we have to we have to get them I know it's going to be difficult for the next few weeks and months but you know for those who have gardens we have to start to connect them into nature and it's come to me since writing the book that children whenever they're in nature they always want to collect things feathers stones twigs and and leaves Mm. and what's come to me is that energetically if we know for instance the symbolic meaning of a magpie which in indigenous spirituality is the bringers of light into the world um, how can we not love magpies Mm. Um, but there are many other aspects to it or to learn, and we don't have to know the answers to all these things. We can look them up on the net. This is where we're so blessed at this time. So if a child comes in and you realise it's a little piece of sunshine wattle they've picked up, or you know it's a leaf from a lily pilly, then you are being given a key to where your child is at at the moment. What is lily pilly for? Go on the net, have a look, and see vibrationally what nature is communicating to you and your child. That is quite a, profound. It's only just yeah. come out. Maggie, it's so funny. I, around As we were talking about nature as a healer, I know that I have to go on my walk just around my neighbourhood where I live in southern Sydney. There's a lot of beautiful bush, there's sky, there's water. Yeah. And I walk around and I take it all in and it is a healer. It is, I call it taking my medicine. But I I will often, almost daily when I do it, pick up something or other. I'm always coming back with little bits and pieces. Sometimes I share them on Instagram, often feathers, leaves. But it's so, I've never had that idea to actually look further into the little thing that I collect I know that it gives me great comfort to grab it and bring it back, but I've never thought to make that one, to go that one step further. No. Well, this has only recently come to me, Karina, and what I'm now realising is that every single thing the universe gives us, for instance, we might 
let's say we're having a meditation and we see a pearl in it or there's something that leaps out at us, an image. That image is like a golden egg or a golden onion is probably a better description in that it has so many layers to offer us. If we sit with that and we look on the net and we see what it means, and I'll give an example. Mm -hmm. I was doing a beautiful new meditation that I'd I'd got recently, and this was to do with connecting in with ancestors for this time, you know, because one of the things we can do with our ancestors is they have been through all these times, pestilence and war and what have you, and we can ask that they make their wisdom available to us to navigate the practicalities of the various things. So this is what I was doing. And so I had this wonderful experience in the meditation, which I won't bore you with all the details because there's always quite – I'm just opening something here so that I can actually give you the exact – It's very important that we write these things down because we lose these gems and we don't then see how they connect. So really, we we need to make ourselves like case studies. So this wonderful figure came to me who was um, because we, of course, have ancestors from different lifetimes as well. So they can be from different cultures. So, you know, I mean, no wonder we're all connected ultimately. So a power shell came to me, which is those, they're also called abalone as well, that are all those beautiful colours. Part of this was um, moving beyond any fear for courage to take right action. So power came to me and I looked it up and it is used as the eyes in Māori warriors. So when they carve the Māori warriors, they put the power in as eyes. So I took that to be given the the vision of the warrior. They're known it's known to strengthen the body and the heart and to bring connectivity and harmony and to stimulate our high our intuitive senses. And that's all in that one image of the power and what was particularly strong for me then I I tuned in what of all these things is the most important for me to be aware of right now and it was the eye of the warrior to have the warrior's eye where one is feeling strong and alert and seeing more than one would normally see if you're not in one's warrior mode so this is how we can work with this and um I think there's going to have to be a second fairy book because I'm starting to work with all this to see where it takes us. But this is what I mean about being connected in. You know, we're often wondering, you know, wandering around in life confused and dazed. We don't need to be. It's like a sacred text. The whole of life is like a sacred text. And we have to, in a sense, it's like learning our ABCs. These are learning our spiritual connectivity ABCs. And we're in constant communication with life and and nature is a language of its own is what is part of the message that's in that beautiful story that you just described to us. But there's so much that nature, that the great, you know, source can offer us through these meditations, through these sacred encounters. And they are like little little drops of medicine that we can take and learn about ourselves and learn 
about our place in life as well and how we can help others. It always comes down to that as well. Absolutely. And then because we feel stronger inside, and I'm not saying we don't ever have wobbly moments. Of course we do. But then we become of use to others. If we're running around panicking and, and you know, boring people senseless with our problems, we're not growing and we actually become like a nuisance really to others. But as we as we're more grounded in ourselves, then just our beingness then becomes a gift to others because our space is a safe space and nature feels that. So then we're more in a position to get up and, you know, fight about the things that need to be fought for in the environment to save our wildlife. You know, I mean, I'm, I feel very passionate about things like live exports and these things. We have the power to change these, to honour that we are part of a much bigger life system than what's at the end of our noses. And this is what this is why the fairies call to us. It's not to it is to delight us, but that is to bring light into our being, to enlighten us. They're not there for our entertainment. <laughs> More important things to do. Well, Maggie, I wonder because you have had this this wonderful career you you have this wonderful career in publishing as well that you have found a way to to meld your your spiritual inquiry with your professional life i wonder at what point in your life whether you were a child or a teen when you knew that you would be pursuing this in i guess in a professional way as you have gone on to do yeah, well, it, it the big thing that began for me when I was, I got into publishing and I was lucky to, you know, have some really good jobs quite early on, but the success felt very empty and I could feel like this aching emptiness inside. And then I learned to meditate and this was in 83 and it was all still a bit weird then, but meditation was seen as a bit weird, but from the first meditation I had, I knew that was the space I wanted to live my life in. And so I pursued meditation and started to do spiritual courses. And really, I have just followed my nose to stay curious. That has taken me to the deserts of America and had profound experiences there that has taken me while I was still, you know, with a big corporate job, learning different modalities, Reiki and Australian bushflower essences, just as I felt intuitively prompted to go off and do, you know, workshops here and there. And I think this is it. A dear friend of mine um, in England who's a, a very elderly lady now, a wonderful healer and seer, and she said, spiritual progress is not linear. She said, you know, you can be really advanced in some things and we're in kindergarten and others. And that's always been something that's comforted me greatly when I've kind of fallen on my nose to realize, well, okay, I'm in kindergarten where that's concerned. But what it has brought to my working life is the ability, I think, because your intuition is more finely honed, it can be incredibly practical in dealing with other people because instead of reacting to somebody having a tantrum, you can start to see 
the hurt child standing in front of you. Yeah. And so, therefore, you're able to talk to that hurt child. And I've found it has really helped me transform relationships with some extremely difficult people. And other things with intuition where I remember at one stage I had a very big pitch we were doing for, you know, a big author. And, you know, it had taken days to prepare and it had been circulated to other people who needed to have a look at it and see if there was anything they wanted to add and so forth. And so that had been done and it was all ready to go. Suddenly, intuitively, I saw the page where we, we'd made a mistake and it was quite a big one. And I was able to, this was before everything was online, I was able to retrieve that document, change that sentence and then off it went. So it can, the intuition can be incredibly practical. And this is the thing about spiritual. I mean, we've, I've just come back from three weeks. We've just had three weeks again in India, which I love. And I love being there because the spiritual and the everyday, you can't separate it, even if you want to. But we kind of seem to think that we have to have our spiritual life over there. But then, of course, we've got our working life here. Bring the two together, and that's where empowerment comes. That's where being somebody who people can trust in an organisation, where we can also be trusted to be the truth tellers, you know, almost like the sacred clown, that that person who actually has the safety to speak the truth because of the energy around us. I mean, obviously, we have to pick the time and we don't go around trying to be the prophetess, or, but where we just get that moment that's that little touch on the shoulder to say this is the time when you have to say something and we can say it in a way that hopefully is loving and kind and empowering to the people who need to heal that so they don't feel threatened yeah, I so guess it's like stepping into your full humanity in a is. way yeah. it is it absolutely is and so Maggie you started meditating in 1983, and I can sense how that opened up a whole different world for you or worlds. Yes. Now, back in, I mentioned earlier that interview that we did, me and you, in 2008, yes. and within that you described an intriguing moment when your spirit travelled to be with your uncle when he was, he was unwell, and it's a really wonderful story, and I was hoping you'd share it with our audience today. Oh, of course. That's my Uncle Frank, who's now passed over. But um, this happened quite a few years ago. And it was before I understood about spirits leaving, uh, that our, our part of us travels at night often. So he was in England and he had, this was in the days when people wrote aerograms to each other because it was far too expensive to phone. And unbeknownst to me, he had, he'd had this heart attack quite early on. He was kind of like mid forties or something and was between life and death. After he got better, he said to me, um, and then he came to Australia on a trip and he said to me, you know, when I had that heart attack, I think he might have written to tell me, he said, I, I was between life and death. And he said, two people sat with me during this time. One was, he called it a red Indian, a Native American. 
And my uncle Frank is a very down-to-earth person. He's like the last person in the world you'd expect to be talking about Native Americans. And he said... Native Americans in spirit. (laughs) That's right. And he said, you sat with me with the other half. And at the time, it freaked me out because I, I felt like almost I wasn't in charge of all of myself. You know, I thought, what am I doing going off? But then I've come to realize that we can do this. You know, we don't necessarily, I think if you're a llama where you're, in fact, I've just been reading a book about this, where they are trained to do all these astral travel very consciously. I'm not at that level, but we can do this. Of course, we have to be very careful in doing this, that we are totally protected. And it's it's always a good idea to ask for protection when we fall asleep anyway. But there's another thing I've learned we can do since then, and that is that there are, just as there are the Akashic records in another dimension that records our lifetime and all lifetimes, there are also the halls of healing. So often what I will do, I only ask for myself if I'm like really unwell because I feel like, you know, it's up to me to get better, not be bothering the universe with everything. But if I have somebody who is very sick, and at one stage my father had cancer, and I would ask to that he be, when he slept, that he would go to the halls of healing and that I'd be allowed to go and sit with him there. Now, I had no conscious memory of being in the halls, but I know I was there and I know my dad was there and he got he got better because obviously that was his life path. Sometimes the healing is just the healing of us spiritually and we still pass because that's part of our ongoing adventure through the cosmos, through time and space. So those are two things. that Yes, we can be with others. So we could be with others, for instance, in sorrow or whatever, but always asking that that we be totally protected. And I always ask for the pure golden light of divine being to be present in that situation to to kind of cocoon us in that space so that the highest spiritual and healing possibilities are available. It's fascinating that in that encounter with your uncle, you were not aware of having been with him. So, But a a part of you, we could call it the higher self or a part of you, was aware of his, you know, his precarious health and of his need for your love and put you there in that moment which is what a, what an idea what yes an because idea. that was the other thing Karina as you point out which I hadn't mentioned is that I didn't know he'd had a heart attack until some time after I didn't on 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 the everyday level I did not know that because this was a time when people you know now we message we Skype we WhatsApp in those days, even telephone calls were only for very, very important things. And I'm not saying that wasn't important, but the family were too busy dealing with going to the hospital and praying for him to stay alive to to even think of, of ringing people who weren't living close in England. So, yes, so this shows how connected we are. And at other times I've asked if I can just be of help on the planet at night. Um, when I go to sleep and and I suspect that would be a good thing for us to do at the moment as things unwind for us here a a bit um, as we go through this reset to ask that we may be of loving help 
and you know perhaps to send the planet healing at night to hold that space of healing in in whatever way the universe wants to use that intention because intentionality is important and another thing that I've learned around that is at the end of meditation every day I now ask to be aligned to the highest and purest purpose of this day and that might be a lovely thing for people to take away as things get rocky for us align us that we are aligned to the highest and purest purpose for you Karina for everybody listening for the day and when we fall out of that when we get wobbly and fearful or feeling lonely or down or what's worrying what's going to happen it brings just to remember to come back to know what I need to focus on is the highest and purest intention for this day that is a lovely takeaway for our listeners today and for myself. I'll certainly be putting that into, in you know, putting that to work for sure. I love that idea of saying that at the end of the meditation. And it strikes me, Maggie, speaking with you, that there, we have so much to gain from spirituality. I'm still thinking about your experience in spirit with your uncle and it just reminds me of so many stories that I've heard of people who've seen a, a ghost, quote-unquote yes. ghost, and there's no difference between, it seems to me, your late grandmother sitting on the end of your bed at a time when you miss her or feel that you could do with her comfort and you sitting by your sick uncle, the only difference being that you were a living person. So in light of that, I wonder about your experience with ghosts and what you think a ghost is. I think... We are all, we, we, life is energy and we simply change energy. You know, we shed our body like we shed clothes that are no longer serving the purpose. And we move on through time and space. And because everything is energy um, and looking, going back to the fairy uh, situation, you know, that Bob kind of gave me the key that, the fairies were actually there dimensionally in another dimension. It almost seems to me like we're a series of Russian dolls or Russian containers of lives and lifetimes and beingness being contained one within the other, within the other, within the other, if that makes sense. Yes, it because does. Whereas previously, I'd always thought that, you know, it was like traveling to some other place, you know, like this arduous journey you had to go on here or there. But what what I'm learning, actually, is it's almost like we're sitting, we're sitting in all this and it it is so close to us and so available to us. These things are not distant. We are just different manifestations of energy. And on that about us and ghosts, a friend some years back, some of you might know about Yogananda, who's a very deeply amazing spiritual man, and he actually brought yoga to the West in the 1920s. Yes, and I'm reading his bio autobiography now, Maggie. Oh, I love, isn't he? He's the most beautiful teacher, and that's the most amazing book, Autobiography of a Yogi. Anyway, he set up the Self-Realisation Fellowship. He was told to go to the West. And that was huge for him to do because it was way out of his comfort zone. Anyway, he did that and, you know, was a, been a blessing to so many through meditation and yoga and all things that came to the West out of that long before the Beatles. 
So he passed away and the self-realization fellowship that he set up in LA, there was a lady running it a few years ago. I don't know whether she still is. And a girlfriend of mine who's very psychic went to see her in, in LA this night and the car broke down on the way there and it was a huge drama. As, as is often the way with the universe, she was a bit disappointed. She had to sit in one of the other rooms and see the woman on video screen because they were too late to get into the main auditorium. But this is where the universe is so clever. She had to wait and wait for the kind of equivalent of the NRMA to come afterwards. And, you know, everybody had long gone and she was still sitting waiting. And eventually the lady who she'd come to see and her retinue came out. And Beverly said to me, Maggie, it was amazing because one minute she saw this middle-aged lady and she said, next, all I could see was this moving explosion of light. And what she had seen was that this person was a thoroughly realized being and she was being shown her full enlightenment. And also at that moment, what she herself is is capable of or, you know, the, the potentiality that Beverly embodied as well. Yes. So wow. that, it, it, in a sense, it shows how delicate life and life forms and everything is. And it just takes us to a whole other level of wonderment and joy and um, amazement and possibilities, I think. That's so true. And I think with ghosts, as with fairies, your message today seems to be, or part of it, there have been so many wonderful teachings that you've given us, Maggie, but the idea of probing beyond the the label or the, the two-dimensional thing that we've been taught to see. So a ghost is a scary spirit or, you know, a fairy is this tiny little being with wings. There's so much. There are worlds and worlds behind those appearance, those manifestations, as you say. And I think back to what Bob says in your book about the fairies representing an ecology of their own. And it reminds me yeah. of that beautiful line in Blake's poem uh, where he says, to see a universe in a grain of sand and you know, there's just layers upon layers within every point of nature or every manifestation that seems to that seems to be what I'm that's what I'm sensing today speaking with you. Absolutely, Karina. And you know what the exciting thing is, and I would love to hear from anybody, as you work with this stuff, and this is what I've found since the book came out, all of you are going to discover things um, through your experiences that I don't know about and that none of, nobody else knows about. And this is where the sharing of wisdom is so important. And if we talk about these things, you go away and you have an insight that hasn't come to me. And this is how we grow the wisdom, how we grow. And that's when it becomes quite exciting because we become like spiritual detectives. And that's kind of fun. I love that idea of spiritual detective. I've never thought of it like that. We might have to set up an agency. Oh, Maggie, don't tempt me. I love that. And as we draw to the end of our conversation, Maggie, I wonder if there's any sacred encounter or anything that we haven't explored today that you think would be valuable to share with our listeners. 
I think just in this time, because I think that's probably on everybody's mind at the moment, is to trust that whatever experiences come our way, and this is what I've learned through some very tough dark nights of the soul, there are times in life when we feel we are standing in the complete darkness and we know we can't stay where we are, but we are terrified to step forward. But what life asks of us sometimes is to step forward through the darkness and to use as our kind of compass to keep searching and searching until we find the gift or gifts out of the experience that is hard for us. And that way, the experiences have not been lost and we get to take a quantum spiritual leap in those moments of the dark nights of the soul. So any time in the next few weeks and months, if we're feeling it's hard going, you're not being punished. You're being given the opportunity to have a big initiation. Take it, take the gift, and you will soar. I can't think of a better way to end our conversation. But before we do, I just want to find out, Maggie, what you're focusing your energy on these days. What's important to you? What's what's next for you? I'm, I'm starting to um, explore ancestral healing and what our ancestors can bring to us. So that's a whole new journey for me. And I've got lots more to learn, but it's very powerful. Oh, well, you know, it's fascinating because ancestral healing is something that has been dominating my thoughts for at least a year now, I think. I'm intrigued by it. I had an experience last year where I had a very subtle nudging from my great-grandmother to tell her story. So, as usual, I'm always, I've always got too many balls in the air, as we all Wonderful. do. <laughs> but she's there. Manuela, my great-grandmother, she's in the back of my mind and she travelled from Spain to Uruguay where I was born and I'm drawn to tell her story. I'm actually going through ancestry.com.au at the moment to to begin the physical building of the tree but I know there's so much more to it and so that idea of ancestral healing is it's so powerful to me at the moment. So to hear that that is also of interest to you, well, that's really exciting. Oh, go well with it, Karina. Oh, thank you. And, you know, uh, same to you, Maggie, and we'll have to get you back on the show to talk about that because that is a whole topic of its own and it's it, it involves that quantum leap that you were, that you touched on earlier as well. Most definitely. And loads of love to you and to all your listeners. Go thank well and go wonderfully. Thank you, Maggie. And please tell our audience how they can find you online and how they can buy your beautiful book, Inside the Secret Life of Fairies. You can get hold of me at um, my website is www.maggiehamilton.org. I have an Instagram at Maggie Whispers and I have a blog, secretlifeoffairies.wordpress.com. And on my website, you can, there's a page you can contact me through. And the book is available in shops and it's also available online. 
and it's a Hay House book. Fantastic. Uh, I recommend that everyone reads it. There is so much wisdom in there, which I don't need to tell you now, having listened to Maggie. I think you'll, you'll have a hint of what is in there. Thank you so much, Maggie, for your time today. And it's just a joy to speak with you. And you too, darling. Take good care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Spirit Sisters, the podcast, based on my best-selling book of the same name. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and will join me again next time for another intriguing conversation exploring mysteries and marvels. In the meantime, please subscribe so that you won't miss an episode. I also welcome your feedback, so please message me through my website, karinamachado.com, or find me on Facebook at Karina Machado Author. Perhaps you have your own encounter to share. If so, I'd love to hear it. After all, there's nothing more powerful than a story. Thank you.